Tino Kuda, Tondarai, Wunzaubai. I ain't gonna repeat that. Here's a podcast that is creating the dialogue and the space for black men to be their most authentic selves. Now, my guest today is Muzzy and Donna, and Muzzy comes onto the podcast to talk about his property journey, how he got into property, and what rejection led him to creating the Zim Investors Group. Muzzy also comes to talk about how his transition from the from Zimbabwe to the UK, how that impacted him, but also, you know, the trials and the tribulations associated with that. We also get into a bit about how when parents come here and leave their children at home, trying to provide a better life for them, sort of the impact that that has on the children, but also on the parents too, um, which makes for some very interesting conversation. Um, I loved talking to Muzzy. Um, you'll hear how we sort of uh, met up and how we got together um, for this episode. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode too. Um, before we get started, before I let you listen to a little snippet of the episode, please go and review the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast. Give five stars if you loved it. If you didn't love it, still keep five stars because, you know, I'm sure you'll love other conversations. <laughs> so uh, let me, uh, let me uh, give you a little listen. Um, prepare your ears for what you've got to look forward to in this episode. Um, Warren Buffett is one of the, the, the greatest investor, investors in the mm. world. He recently said that, um, and he was talking about sales and in, in he's talking to students who are actually doing sales and marketing. And um, he's talking about how you make people feel. And he said something which I found quite profound, um, that... People will forget what you said to them. People will forget what you did to them, but people will not forget how you made them feel. And I think that's a really powerful thing and how you make someone feel. And going back to the statements that you're making, uh, the, what you're talking about, uh, being uh, selfish, there's a guy called Dr. Wayne Dyer. If you've never read any of his books, I would recommend you read his book. Dr. He's Wayne Dyer, okay. Dr. Wayne Dyer. And um, he was talking about a scenario where um, if you imagine someone who's begging on the street and then someone goes in and gives that person something and helps them, whether it's with food, with money or whatever, the beauty of that activity is it makes the person who's begging feel better. It makes the person who's just given them feel better, but it also makes the people who are watching it feel better. Mm. Yeah. So he actually said a statement, which I found quite strange, but true, that helping someone is one of the most selfish things you can do because it makes you feel better. Yeah. So the more people that are in property who are already doing it, um, who come in and we start sharing information and we did interviews like this one and just had conversations about certain strategies, what works and what doesn't work. Um, and also the, the challenges that local people wouldn't understand, which are, I'm coming from Zimbabwe, I'm coming from a completely different culture. I look different. I sound different. This is uh, an initial challenge that not many people will understand before I actually get on par with anyone else who's, who's already here, right? So me having a weird name, me having a different accent mm -hmm. is my first challenge. Now, if I find more people who have weird names and different accents <laughs> who are already doing it, yeah. that will help with the element of belief that this is actually possible. 
you're already investing in property and you have a weird name like mine <laughs> and you look different like me. So what's my reason for not doing it not, if yeah, that was yeah. my initial challenge? Right. So the more we actually had of these Zimbabweans who are doing that, and then we actually started attracting other people from different nations. So it's the Zim property investors because it was started by Zimbabweans, but it's not exclusive to just Zimbabweans, by the way. Anyone yeah. can come and join. <laughs> right? Anyone can come in. So fortunately, that group has grown now on Facebook. It's got currently 1,800 people in there. Wow, that's and good. it's got people from all over the world now just sharing information and the whatsapp group initially was created for the zimbabweans in the uk where we can discuss specific things about investing in the uk but so now that you've got a little bit of a snippet of what you got to look forward to in this episode um i just want to thank you ahead of time for listening to this episode if you please go and uh, rate and review the podcast if you go and share it with your friends fellow zimbabweans you'll hear that we like to collaborate in this episode so um, my fellow zimbos are listening out there please go and share this episode too um everybody just go and share this episode um because it's a good episode i loved talking to muzzy and i think you guys are really going to enjoy what he's got to say so um here's my conversation with muzzy and dunna hi muzzy so welcome to the black and raw podcast it's really good to have you on Thanks, man. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be invited, finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad we finally got this arranged. Yeah, because we met at, um, what was it again? It was, it, oh, it's, nice a, it's a Zim UK business chamber um, yeah. in, in Birmingham. So yeah, that was a really good event, to be fair. Quite inspiring, was, actually, was. to see a lot of people. A lot of Zimbabweans just in the same room doing uh-huh. um, doing great things. Nah, it was, it was actually really good to to have that so um yeah so yeah okay so um yeah no yeah so the 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 black business event um yeah that was that was a really good just to see loses and barbons as well everybody in the room together um yeah quite inspiring as well absolutely especially your younger sister <laughs> that was that was um yeah that was actually quite impressive to to have someone at that age doing such amazing stuff not only running her business but also uh doing some charitable stuff um as well um i didn't get to taste her cakes but they looked really good yeah no they are really good yeah maybe maybe i'll i'll try and plug her i'll try and uh, what do you call it if you got a birthday or anything coming up oh yeah <laughs> yeah i'll give you a shout i'll give you a shout definitely <laughs> so yeah no nah, no nah, she yeah she's she's pretty she's pretty great oh hold on mm-hmm. so yeah yeah my little sister yeah she does bits to be fair so she, she's quite good with stuff like that impressive indeed at her <laughs> age as well yeah and there was that other young boy toby was it oh man that God. guy um yeah he him and talking about or well, he's actually quite knowledgeable about geography and knowing anything and everything about anywhere in africa which was actually quite impressive but i was talking about the, the railway lines and the, the improvement in the transportation system and how old was he like nine or something like yeah, that. yeah nine or something like that yeah oh, for, man. Man. yeah for the listeners that have 
obviously not everyone, no one, no one that listens to this is there, but maybe there are some, but yeah, no, the, Toby was this, his kid that was given a presentation on the transportation in Leicester and they were saying how they can make it better. He came up with his own lines. He knew sort of where to, where to go and reach rural areas and stuff like that. And like, and in he, he sent a letter to the mayor, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He had a yeah. conversation with the mayor as well and presented oh. that up. And I'm like, talk about bright future. Yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah, I, yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing whatever that kid's future is because he's definitely going places. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I did say on, on the day that I actually went there, I bumped into him before I knew who he was. And um, his mom was struggling to get his tie fixed. So... I did his tie at the start of the day before I actually knew who he was. Yeah. I actually did say after he did the presentation, I said, when you become a billionaire, remember who did your tie. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, don't forget, don't forget. Don't forget where you come from. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So yeah, so Muzzy, um, so yeah, when I met you, um, you were talking about property and sort of that's the thing you you're into, um, and that you're doing, um, before we get onto that as well, um, I wanted to know sort of just a bit about, um, your transition here to the UK. You came here when you were 17, um, not young, but not young, but not old, um, Mm -hmm. So I came when I was six months, like nine months old. So I was very young. Um, <laughs> so you had quite. So a, you wouldn't know nothing about where you're coming from. No, at that time. Yeah, no, that time I would have no idea. So yeah, what was it like, sort of coming to the UK, transitioning here? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, like you've mentioned, I came here when I was seventeen. This is back in two thousand and four, and um, like you said, at at seventeen. You're you're fairly young, but then you're not very young, yeah. you know. Um, at seventeen, you've really adjusted to your your surroundings, your environment. I'm used to where I grew up and the people that I surround myself with, and to completely shift um, country, culture, and everything, infrastructure. It was it was um it was a change and a half. And I'll be honest with you, it, it was it was exciting when the idea was brought up say, uh, we're going to the UK, you know, coming mm. from Zimbabwe is like one of the biggest achievements ever. Um, I just had no idea what was lined up for me when I came <laughs> to the UK. It was a, it was a major change. Now I've, I've changed schools before in primary school and secondary school and being a new kid is not fun, but what I experienced when I got here was completely different. Mm. It wasn't just being the new kid, but it was sounding different, looking different to everyone else. And um, it was it was strange, very strange. It, may, it was made obvious that you're different. You're yeah. not from here. So the transition itself, um, it was like high expectations that were slammed down very quickly. quickly. And um, I guess like, like you, you would know now um, whatever it is that you put into at some point, you're just going to have to adjust. Mm. You're just going to have to adjust. So I I, I quickly became, um, because back in Zimbabwe, the the education system is completely different. Uh, we did O levels, A levels, and here it's GCSE. So when I got here, I automatically became a genius because the O levels are a lot more difficult than GCSE here. Yeah. Right? So when I got here and 
the questions that were being asked, the syllabuses we're going through, I was thinking, is there a trick question? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did this in primary, right? And um, just being in that position, and I mean, being the one who knows the most, who understands the most in the classroom, it's supposed to be the cool thing. But when you look different, sound different, and you're new, it's yeah, not it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a cool thing. So um, I had to just adjust to that envir- environment and um, um, eventually I kind of did, kind of realized that this is it, this is what it's going to be uh, for a very long time. It's not like uh, because I don't like this, I'm going to have to go back. That choice wasn't there because yeah. the whole family had come here. So I just had to adjust to that. Now, um, eventually when I actually settled in, my accent started slowly changing, kind of adjusting to what the people saying here, what I thought was English back in Zimbabwe is not English. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, learning the new way of speaking English, because uh, I had told myself, well, the English that we speak in Zimbabwe is the textbook English. And if I'm coming to England, Queen's where English. English is supposed to be spoken, I'm going to fit straight in. Yeah. yeah turns out the English can't speak English. <laughs> so, yeah, it's one of those things that um, you, you slowly adjust to, you understand that this is completely different. And eventually, because I was young enough to adjust, um, I could, I could just adjust, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you're quite more, you're more nimble sort of when you're younger. Yeah. Isn't it? That yeah. You're, like kids have been, like, kids can adjust quite well to a quite lot a lot quicker. of situations. Yeah, a lot quicker Absolutely. than adults. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, which is yeah, which is good. I'm glad you uh mm-hmm. yeah, that's I feel like that's probably quite a lot of people's experience coming over from Zimbabwe or just sort of anywhere into the UK is like there's quite a different sort of culture shock. Um mm-hmm. just the people like especially if you're especially if you are if you look different, if you are black, um, you know, if you're European, you can sort of, you know, quite assimilate to it until people hear yeah. your voice. Um but yeah, did you I don't know, when you when you came here um you're 17 and you're sort of educating um what were you i guess i don't know what i was gonna ask next (laughs) (laughs) um so you would have i guess you would have been doing your gcse's when you came here and stuff like that and your a levels uh what did you go and study when you went to uni like how was going to uni here Mm -hmm. as well Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I actually came here, I had just finished my O levels. So in in Zimbabwe, it would be Form Four or O levels, and um, I had my qualifications. When I brought them here, they didn't accept them. Yeah, they didn't recognize that that um um that so whatever it is O levels, and here it's GCSEs is completely different. So even if I had my certificate for my uh, secondary school, I had to do GCSE again. So I had to oh. go to college for one year just to do my GCSEs. So um, it was, well, I, I kind of like flew through that. Yeah. I, I just I just thought I could just take the exam now, but I had to go to college for a whole year. Um, so because I got here in, in August, I kind of fortunately managed to catch the September one oh, okay. um, because that's when, well, that's the other difference. In Zimbabwe, the, the term starts in January. Yeah, in the UK they start in September, so it kind of worked out. So I had to just do the GCSEs until the following year. Now, initially, um, again, my dad had been here for years before we came here. Okay. So in terms of what things are like here, we just always went with his suggestions. 
but the difference is um, the elderly or the older people who came from Zimbabwe, <laughs> the way they view things here is slightly different to the way that we would see things. So she, he, he actually made the suggestion that, um, you know, the, the, the best career to go for is, is anything to do with care. Yeah. Um, and if you go into child care, that's where you're actually going to make the most amount of money. Um, what he didn't consider is, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your thing. <laughs> it's not my thing. So um, it's, it, it again, the, the majority of people that come from Zimbabwe, it's I'm coming here to work. Yeah. I'm not coming here to enjoy myself. I'm not coming here to get the best career of my, uh, of <laughs> that I'm passionate about anything of my purpose. I'm here to work, to make money with the idea of, going back to Zimbabwe at some point, right? Yeah. So this whole that. idea of, <laughs> yeah, this whole idea of, I, I, this is what I like to do. Yeah, it was out. So it's childcare, try that. So I actually tried it. And within a month, I realized this is just not my thing. Yeah. It's like, no, this is not going to happen. So eventually I went to do um, engineering. I tried it out. Just let me try engineering. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't like the childcare, besides the fact that the kids were an absolute nightmare, <laughs> it's, um, it's a predominantly female environment. Yeah. So not only did I look different, I was actually uh, the only male and it made me even more isolated. I was so uncomfortable. Um, so I left that, started doing engineering as an apprentice. So I went to, um, um, it's called Midlands Group Training Services in Coventry, where I was an apprentice. Uh, and the good thing about this setup is it's a four-year course where the first two years you're taught anything and everything foundational about engineering, whether mm. it's welding, um, it's, it's, it's electricity, anything, and plumbing, all of it's the foundation. And then as you go along, you get to decide what it is that you want to do, whether you want okay. to be an electrician, a plumber, a welder, um, any sort of engineer that you want to be. And then they, fi they find you a job. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Then. So yeah. they actually find you a job where you, the second, the second half of your four years, you're actually working and coming to college at the same time. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And then um, after that, you can then decide whether you want to go do your HNC or you want to do your degree. So um, I did manufacturing engineering. I seem to quite like the concept of assembling things and writing processes. So I did that and, and they found me a job at a place called Terex where we assembled um, construction vehicles, backhoes and dumpers. So I did that all the way to uni and I didn't plan this to be fair, but it worked out really well because most of the people that went straight to engineering at university and did the three-year course, when they went to find a job, the struggle was you don't have experience, even though yeah. you have qualification. Whereas when I was doing that, I was gaining experience and the qualification at the same time. So uh, fortunately, I had a job anyway, so I didn't have to go search for it. But if I were to go search for it, I can use my experience as a worker at that company and I can use my qualifications that I was collating as I was going anyway. Yeah. No, that's so, good. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, you always hear that, don't you? Sort of like, oh, we need you to have two years work experience. But then you're like, no one's going to give go. me work experience. So how am I supposed to get it? There you go. Um, <laughs> it's, it's always a struggle. It's always a struggle. Absolutely. It, it it makes no sense to me anyway. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like go to uni and then when you finish uni, you got a qualification, uh, you need work experience. 
yeah, but how am I going to get it if you don't give me the job? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and no, one, so, no one's willing to as well, isn't it? So you sort mm-hmm. of have to. It's, it's mad. It's yeah. mad, yeah. But um, yeah, so that's that's how I transitioned into into the uni and and, and that's the career path I took. Yeah, nice. I think uh, I think a lot of us can relate in terms of about older parents or telling us, you know, you have to go into care or nursing or doctor or lawyer or, you know, <laughs> something that will be stable and give you money. Um, mm-hmm. But I think with our I think with our generation, even your generation, I think we just have more of a longing to sort of do stuff that we're passionate about, actually. And Absolutely. Sort of, like we we'll want to make if we want to make money, we make money in something that we love to do. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but, it's, but we're in a different position, aren't we? Because for your dad, he came here and he was like, right, I need to provide for my family back home. I need yeah, to yeah. find something that just gives me money. Whereas we sort of have a bit more of a, we're more settled here and mm-hmm. we're sort of wanting to build. Um, yeah. Why, I guess, why do you think like in terms of for your parents, actually what I wanted to, when you're talking about your dad and um, stuff, I think a lot of, I think we find that a lot of Zimbabweans, um, a lot of migrants anyway, of dad will come here or mum will come here to work and leave family at home. Um, yeah. What was that like for you guys or having your dad in England and you guys being back in Zim? And to be honest with you, um, for us, as as probably bad as this might sound, it didn't make too much of a difference. Okay. Yeah, um, because mum was there. Yeah. So if if mum had gone and dad stayed, might have felt a bit of a difference. Yeah, but it was actually something that we we actually cherished. It's something that we we liked and used quite a lot as a as a showing off kind of thing. Dad <laughs> in the UK, you know. <laughs> so um, it, it didn't actually feel like a bad thing at all. Um, yes, of course, there's there's times where we missed him. There's times that we thought it would be fun if he was here and would speak to him uh, on video calls and stuff like that um, and over the phone. But majority of the times, because mum was there, uh, we never felt that we were missing a parent. And because a lot of gifts were coming, uh, money was coming from dad, we felt his presence through that. Yeah. Um, so it, it didn't actually feel like, um, too much of a miss. And I think, I think like looking, I'm thinking about it now. I never actually thought of it this way. Um, dad's presence, even when he was actually there, he was more of a, um, once he's gone to work, he comes home. He's the, um, he, he's the person who brings us the goodies. Yeah. yeah, it's like dad's here. <laughs> oh, we've got something. So we we always joked around that if dad goes shopping, we will enjoy what he buys. <laughs> if mom goes shopping, she will buy the essentials that we won't enjoy. Yeah, you know, she, she'll she'll walk in with the washing up liquid, the 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 vegetables before they're cooked, and we're just looking at it thinking, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, but that's what we really need. But dad will bring crisps and sweets and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And that's the way that he showed love. And because that's the way he showed love, we felt his his presence even when he wasn't there because he still sent those gifts. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't actually feel too different, to be fair. And um, I think it was about six or seven years. He still came back to visit a couple of times. It was about six or seven years before we then actually followed and joined him anyway. Oh, so you weren't, it wasn't sort of too long of a period that it was gone away for. Yeah. Cause I know like my mum works with migrants and stuff like that. And I know that she's told me stories before 
of parents that have came here when their children were young and then they try and bring them over when they're like 17 or stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they're really sort of regretful. Um, like the, the children are really sort of bitter that parents left them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that I guess if you have, if you're a single parent, then it's even a bit more damaging because then you sort of left them with a the grandparent. Absolutely. Or something Absolutely. else. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a weird one because I feel like obviously your parent is trying to do the best for you. Um, and to give you money to support you, to feed you and stuff like that. But then for the kid is also like, yeah, but I also needed you there as well. It's quite a hard yeah. sort of place to be in. 100%. I think as we grow up at certain stages, there's a certain version of our parents that we need. Yeah. Um, as, as we was the younger we are, the more we need their presence, physical presence, the older we are, the more we need just their essence. Yeah. So I'm, I'm okay with my parents, um, giving me a phone call to give me advice. You know, I'm okay with my parents sending me money, the older I am, but the younger I am, I need the physical presence. So the, with the, with the parents that left their kids at the younger age, even if you say I will send everything that you were eating, everything you were wearing, I'm the one who was sending it. That's not the parent I needed at the time. Yeah. So I can feel that I missed out on a lot here. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You did the right thing because if you had stayed, even if I was there present, we would have struggled. However, as I'm a lot, a lot, the younger that I am, the version that I needed of you wasn't there. So you can understand both sides. And it's just an unfortunate situation that um, I guess the circumstances have forced the parents to, to split up with their kids to make this better life that we talk about. But it's not an it's not an easy thing for either one. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it's it's just it's just one of them. But um, I've seen that too. And the fortunate part is, even though there's a bit of a a period of confusion, a period of resentment, a period of whatever you go through, there's healing in it because at the point that the 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 child grows, they get to see it. And and I think it's really good that you bring the kids here. And once they understand what life is like here, um, because let's be honest, when you're in Zimbabwe, what you think of England is such a glorified um, oh, money falls from trees, <laughs> it's, it's honey and milk. They are chilling, they're enjoying life. And to a certain extent, we are we're at fault for it because the stuff that we post on social media and the things that we talk about, um, they kind of portray a certain lifestyle. Yeah. It's up until you come here that you realize, hold on, for that lifestyle to happen, there's a hell of a load of grafting for it. Yeah, there's a, there's a load of sacrifice of your social life. You know, socializing in Zimbabwe is a lot more um, appreciated and easier. You can just, you know, just walk, walk across to get, go into someone's house and just knock on the door and walk in. Here, it's very weird for me to just come and knock on your door without announcing myself. Yeah, definitely. It's a very strange thing. And, And once people understand, once they get here and actually understand, hold on a second, this is what life is like. This is what you had to go through to give me the things that I had eventually as a child you then actually start understanding there's a lot of sacrifice that my parents had to do to get to to get me to where i am and then that relationship slowly changes that's the fortunate thing eventually that relationship slowly changes into something perhaps even stronger than what it would have been before yeah 100% i i, I like how you put that as well and also just that you have 
you were saying that you need a parent for a certain, like each period of time where you're at in your life, you need mm. a sort of different type of parent. Um, how have you found being a parent? You told me that um, you've got a one-year-old and a five-year-old, <laughs> or two-year-old and a five-year-old. That was it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as, as I was actually talking about the fact that once you've come here and you see what life is like, you start to appreciate more what your parents have done for you. And once you become a parent, that level of appreciation gets even better because <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking you had to go through this. I wasn't this bad, surely. <laughs> we all think that. We all think that, don't we? We all think that. I was, like, I was the perfect child. I would have never done this to you. But um, yeah, my, my parents, my parents, whenever I tell them about what, what the girls are like, because uh, I've got two young girls and they just have a chuckle. <laughs> yeah how does that feel now no, I'm like, what do you mean it's like <laughs> this is exactly what you did i'm like there is no way i would have done this and they're like yeah <laughs> but um it's it, it's it's um it's a beautiful feeling um as as parents we may go, go through periods where you're like oh this child has done this this child has done that i'm struggling to sleep i need to work the next day and she or she won't sleep and all that stuff but ultimately it's not an experience i would change for anything it's an absolutely amazing feeling yeah no that's good yeah we all like you're saying yeah we all think we're that child i i used to yeah. have tantrums when i was a kid um <laughs> wouldn't get like if i wouldn't get ice cream or something like that or something i wanted my mom and dad to say yeah you would just flop yourself on the floor <laughs> in the middle of asda um <laughs> i once told my aunt who was taking care of me um i said oh well you're just the nanny anyway um, oh. <laughs> because she wouldn't get me something that i wanted um so yeah kids we can be awful as kids can't we jeez oh, can be heartless <laughs> and 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 what they say is just truthfully how they feel as we grow we know how to filter our feelings to what yeah. we say Oh, uh, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> what they feel at the time is exactly what they say. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> and definitely you're thinking, true. What? How could you? Yeah, they have no filter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just. Yeah, they're honest. They're on. Yeah, they're honest to a fault, aren't they? To be honest, but uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah, that's but, but it's 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 really cute though. It's it's really amazing. It's really, really amazing. <laughs> no, definitely. And so. Um, as you're as you're like providing for your family as well, and we were we talked a bit about um your engineering, um mm. and that you were doing that. So what happened for you to go from engineering to now working in property? Yeah, um, that was a, a strange transition. Um, so my first job, my first job in engineering was actually in 2006, two years after um two years after I actually got here. And I mentioned that it started as an apprenticeship thing. Mm. And um, my engineering career was um, probably about, about 13 years. Oh, wow. So you did it for quite a yeah. while. So I did it for quite a while. Um, in the West Midlands, the, the biggest manufacturing industry that's there is cars. So assembling cars. Uh, and it, it was always sort of a dream of mine to work for Jaguar Land Rover because they're mm. the big one. So either working for Jaguar Land Rover or working for their suppliers. Yeah, right? it's a flex. It's a flex. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's an absolute flex. You know what I mean? It's like it's that pinnacle where you just, you know, 
in anything that you want to do and just kind of hint it to anyone that you're having a conversation with like oh yeah I work for Jagalandra don't need to say anything else you know don't need to say anything else I work for JLR and leave it there um so it was always a thing that I wanted to do um and slowly kind of moving through my stages uh when I started as an apprentice apprentice is like as low as it gets when you yeah. actually start working it's as low as it gets you're the kid that goes in and, and gets tea for everyone <laughs> you know goes to buy the sandwiches and I slowly moved up to an operator to a team leader became a supervisor um and then became a manager as I moved along different companies um, and then eventually I made it to JLR. Flex. Eventually <laughs> made it to JLR. And I'm there like, um, so when I went to JLR, initially I was um, uh, what's called a planning supervisor um, and then became a business improvement manager. That's the last title that I had when I was a, a Jaguar Land Rover. So as you can imagine, with uh, with a lot of people that wish to be engineers or a lot of people that are looking to to do any engineering career, being a business improvement manager for Jaguar Land Rover, it's up it's, there. It's up there, yeah. yeah. It's up there. And my parents are like another level of proud. You know, you were talking about how parents want you to do some something like engineering, doctors and all that. Um, I think it's less about the money, less about the security. It's more about bragging rights for them. Oh yeah, no, yeah. you're right. Hundred <laughs> percent. So they actually, they actually take that as part of their identity. My son is a yeah, yeah. and it's like a, a conversation starter to anyone that they even even someone that had a, they had a grudge with back in school. <laughs> wow, how's things? Oh, my son's an engineer. I didn't ask, but you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so um, in in back in 2018. So at this point, I'm a I'm a business improvement manager. 20, 2018. Um, my, it was actually my wife's friend who suggested, um, a property training course. So from my point of view at the time, property is something that is, um, you, you kind of go through school, you go through college, go to uni, get a job, meet your partner, um, buy a house after you get married and then you have kids and you live happily ever after. And then at some point later on in life, if you've really made it, you might be able to raise enough money to buy a second home that you can yeah. rent out. Yeah. So that was like an unwritten blueprint that I was following. So at the time that someone said property training course, and I was thinking, what do you mean property training for what? It's like how to invest in property. I was like, well, when it comes to property, you just need to raise a deposit and buy the house with the mortgage. What else is there to it? Right. Um, this really sounds like a scam, <laughs> right? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a proper scam. So this training course was in Manchester, about two hours drive from where we live. And, um, my wife really wanted to go to it. So my wife and my sister-in-law wanted to go for it and they don't like driving. I love driving. Yeah. So they, they tagged me so I could do the <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to drive them there. We'll go to this course just to you know, um, get them to do whatever it is that they want and make a, a weekend of it. So I went there really skeptic, just thinking, right, let's just get through, get through this. They're going to find out what I already know. And I'm just going to be like, I told you so. Yeah. Let's go back home and continue with life. <laughs> but <laughs> what I found out when I got there was, was absolutely eye-opening. And this was, it was a two-day course. And on my first day, I was like, wow. 
Now, you know, when you actually go there thinking, I'm about to be scammed, mm. you're, you're reserved. You're thinking, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever. Now, for them to actually turn my thought process at the time to get me thinking, geez, this is a thing. This can actually work. That was something. So I actually walked out of that course more passionate about getting into property than the people that took me. <laughs> Um, that was the that was the turn of events. That's the bit where I actually thought um, I was so motivated and I believed in this thing that I was like, you know, what? this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, I'm going to leave my job at some point. And that's when people started getting a little bit freaked out. Yeah, as well. So that's a big yeah. leap. Being Jaguar uh, yeah. Land Rover, yeah. and then you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm. Um, it is is <laughs> my wife was there, like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's do property, but. Chill out on the job. <laughs> yeah. Calm yourself down. And um, I think um, it, it was a case of I wanted to try this for about a year. And um, I'd convinced myself that I was going to leave my job by the end of uh, 2019 at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I started, I really went for it. I started doing a lot of networking events, got a lot more knowledge connected myself with loads of people that were doing property and I knew people that were doing property. And I just thought, you know, they had um, inheritance and some people had won lottery because there's no way you can just buy houses. It's not an easy thing. Mm. You know, um, you can't save up for a house over 10 years easily enough. In my head, I was thinking it's a very long period. It's not going to be a, a, an easy thing to do. Um, so, there's a couple of Zimbabwean guys who I knew at the time who I knew were doing property. And I was convinced because they were older, it, it, they are at that stage that I talk about where, in, you know, in my fifties or sixties, yeah, I'm going to have enough money. money to start doing it. And that's where I thought they were at. So I never asked them about how they did it because in my head, I'd already concluded that that's how they did it. You know, they worked really hard, saved up a lot of money. Now, I reached out to them to say, I've learned about this. I'm looking to get started in this. Is there any way that you can help? Um, unfortunately, they weren't willing to help, <laughs> which was quite heartbreaking for me because these are people that I'd known for a few years. We played football together. You know, we 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 go to um, nights out. You know, the 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 local Zimbabwean places that you meet up at on a Saturday night where you see the same faces every single time, play the same music, and it feels like you've gone back home. So we got to know each other and you see them as um, your, your parents type thing, you respect them like that. So when they actually turned me down in this request, which I thought they were going to be proud of me, that's the other thing. What really disappointed me is because I had high expectations. I'm going to show up and say, I want to invest in property. I've learned about all of these. I was expecting them to think, fantastic. Someone who is thinking entrepreneurially, you know, yeah. um, someone who's trying to move into the business sector and move away from employment. I thought they were going to be really proud of it. So I was quite heartbroken by that. And whenever I tell the story, especially with other Zimbabweans, it's like, oh yeah, Zimbabweans, that's what they're like. And um, as I'm, I think I mentioned it to you at some point. This is a narrative that I hear quite a lot. And even though I was quite heartbroken about it, I would not accept that it's because there's Zimbabwean. Because I thought to myself, if I accept that it's because there's Zimbabwean, that means I'm like that too, since mm -hmm. I'm Zimbabwean. Yeah. So I refused to believe that. And then that's where the incentive actually started on actually reaching out to other Zimbabweans who have my mindset. 
were thinking different. So I can actually um, disrupt this mentality of Zimbabweans are not willing to share. Yeah. And fortunately, I've managed to find quite a lot of them that are like that. <laughs> That's this good. is, um, That's good. yeah, this is, this is where the, 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 the property journey actually started. It was through that training event. And, um, eventually I didn't leave my job in 2019 as I planned. I eventually left my job, um, in, in 2020. Okay. Right. Just yeah. before COVID. Are you sure you didn't want to stay? <laughs> so to be honest with that, they actually helped me out. So during the COVID period, there was that whole furlough thing. Um, it's like, um, a furlough is a word that's existed for hundreds of years, but no one knew it until COVID. Yeah, until COVID, yeah. <laughs> so um, they put they put us on furlough. Um, this whole concept of firstly we need you to to continue working, but you're gonna work from home. And my job didn't really have anything to do at home. It was just a a, a tick tick box exercise that yeah uh, he's still working. But I had nothing to do. <laughs> I had absolutely nothing to do. So what I did was um I, I started building my property portfolio. Yeah. During work time. During work time and, and getting paid for and, uh, it. That's 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 a good setup. Get, that's a very and, good setup. And getting paid for it. Now I got into trouble for it. So uh <laughs> so it was um I was I was brought in for disciplinary because I was um Apparently I had a second job. Oh, okay. And, and being a director of a business whilst I'm employed, apparently was classed as a second job. Oh. Right. And, um, I argued the case so many times, but then I realized later on what was going on. So it was a pointless fight. And then I realized that I'm just about to be pushed. Yeah. So I thought I'd jump before I get pushed. And fortunately at the time, um, they, they issued out um, voluntary redundancies for anyone who wants to actually leave. And I thought I was ready to leave for free. Now you're offering to pay me to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take I'll that. Take Thank it. you very much. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you very much. So um, I walked out with a, with a nice package that I used to um, to enhance my property portfolio as well. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, and I, it, it worked out for you as well because you sort of like, even though... You know, like sometimes when you're starting a new thing in a new business, you sort of got to take a leap and be like, right, yeah. I'm not going to get rid of all this that I've done before, get rid of all this money that I've got before. But it worked out quite nicely for you that it was COVID happened, then you got furloughed and mm -hmm. then they're like, actually, nah, you know, you've got two jobs, you need to go. And then they're like, yeah, we'll pay you to go. And you're like, ah. We'll take that. We'll take that. We'll take that. You you give me more money to go into my property. So exactly. It, it works all the best. Um, exactly. So how have you found being in the property market, especially during this sort of time where you've got high inflation, you know, prices mm. are soaring as well. Um, I think for a lot of people that look at wanting to buy a house or even buy their first house, it can be quite daunting, can't it? 100%. 100%. Um, so that's a great question, by the way. And, and firstly, for any of the listeners who might be thinking now, yeah, um, how do we actually get into property when all of this is going on? There is never going to be an ideal place. There's not going to be an ideal time. Every single time, even the histories that you're actually thinking, if we had bought houses at that time, the people at that time had something that mm. they were worried about. 
right? Um, it, it might be inflation now. It might be the fact that house prices are dropping. It might be um, the, the changes in politics, the economy. It could be anything. There's always a reason that makes think, people think, oh, this might not be the time. Right. So we have a saying in property that says um, that's um, that that says yesterday was the best time to get started. Today is the next best time. Yeah. There's not going to be an ideal time that you think, you know what, let's wait until this happens and then we're going to let's wait until this happens and then we're going to you'll be you'll be waiting for that time for years and years. Yeah. Right? So um, I would say. Yes, all of that is going on. Um, I mean, the the mortgage mortgage interest rates have just gone absolutely ridiculous in the past few months. Um, the house prices just about four or five months ago were soaring. Now they're dipping. Yeah, um, there's the 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 beauty of it is when it comes to investing in property, there's so many different strategies of investing. There's, there's the rental side, there's the purchasing side, there's the purchase to sell and there's the purchase to keep. There's so many different things you can do with the property once you've actually purchased it. And because there's so many things, there's different strategies that work for certain times. Yeah. So you can continue investing in property in whatever environment. Yeah. Now, the, the, the term investing in property or property investor is an umbrella it's a blanket of so many different things. So even though you are actually right that all of these things are going on, you can still invest, but you just need to you just need to utilize the this a specific strategy that works for that time and that works for that location as well. So there's a lot to consider in it. Yeah, no, so, definitely. Yeah. There is a lot. I I know um there's these guys, uh, there's a podcast. I don't know if you listen to the property podcast. Um and they have a business, they have a business, they even have an app now called the Property Hub, where like they're trying to make it easier for a lot of other people to invest into property as well. Um, so I think, like you said, there, there are many ways, many strategies and many things you can sort of do to get into property if you want to. I, I think it's just sort of about doing your research, networking and sort of finding out. Um, I mean, if you're Zimbabwean and you're in and you like property as well, they can always come to you too. Um, you've Absolutely. got what you got WhatsApp chat as well. That's always popping off every time I see it. On my phone. <laughs> um, how come you made that WhatsApp group? Was it was it just to sort of share information? Was that just an easy place to get everybody in as well? Yeah. Um, so it, it really strongly ties to the story that I mentioned earlier on, um, where I tried to get assistance from fellow Zimbabweans and then I got turned down. And um, looking back at the way things happened, me being turned down by those um, two guys uh, who are still in my circles, by the way, still actually yeah. work with them. I, I respect <laughs> them. Um, me being turned down, they're going to hear it, but they won't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me being turned down by them was actually a blessing in disguise. This group that you're talking about is, is the Zim Property Investors Group. It would have never been created if they hadn't turned me down. There's always a reason for something happening. That heartbreak that I felt was actually the birth of this group because what I was looking for at that point is to firstly, um, firstly, actually prove my thought process that it's not because they're Zimbabwean, because there's loads of Zimbabweans that are open to sharing information. There's loads of Zimbabweans that are open to collaborating. Yeah. And I'm going to find them 
so I can prove myself right. Yeah. yeah. And I was on a mission to find them. And boy, did I find them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started going crazy in social media and um, my initial post. So if you actually go on my profiles, if you go as far as I, I, I um, when I started in property, I rarely ever mentioned the fact that I was in Barbara. Mm. I rarely mentioned it up until this happened. Right. And the reason why I started talking more about me being Zimbabwean is because I was trying to attract other Zimbabweans that are going to reach out to me and say, oh, you're Zimbabwean. Yeah. yeah. So my name is Muzing Ayanduna, but because I shortened it to Muzi, not many people would actually put, put me anywhere. All right. They wouldn't actually know where is he actually from. And the accent is completely different. So you can't pick up that he's from Zimbabwe. No, you can't. Yeah. So it's when I started saying that I'm a Zimbabwean and actually introducing myself as a Zimbabwean, even in the in the big property networks that I go to, Zimbabwe started coming to me. And the more I spoke to them, the more I realized that there's more of us who are willing to share this information. And then I thought, okay, fair enough. So if there is more of us who are willing to share this information, maybe me going through the 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 the, the pain that I went through is a sign that I'm the one who's supposed to start this. Yeah. So in April, 2020, I started the group. It started on Facebook initially and yeah. we called it the Zim Property Investors. So initially it was just to attract as many Zimbabweans as possible who are in property, who are interested in property. Yeah. So the more people that are in property who are already doing it, um, who come in and we start sharing information and we did interviews like this one and just had conversations about certain strategies, what works and what doesn't work. Um, and also the, um, the challenges that local people wouldn't understand, which are I'm coming from Zimbabwe. I'm coming from a completely different culture. I look different. I sound different. This is uh, an initial challenge that not many people will understand before I actually get on par with anyone else who's, who's already here, right? So me having a weird name, me having a different accent mm -hmm. is my first challenge. Now, if I find more people who have weird names and different accents <laughs> who are already doing it, yeah. that will help with the element of belief that this is actually possible. You're already investing in property and you have a weird name like mine <laughs> and you look different like me. So what's my reason for not doing it not, if yeah, that was yeah. my initial challenge? Right. So the more we actually had of these Zimbabweans who are doing that, and then we actually started attracting other people from different nations. So it's the Zim property investors because it was started by Zimbabweans, but it's not exclusive to just Zimbabweans, by the way. Anyone yeah. can come and join. <laughs> right? Anyone can come in. So fortunately, that group has grown now on Facebook. It's got currently 1,800 people in there. Wow, that's and good. it's got people from all over the world now just sharing information and the whatsapp group initially was created for the zimbabweans in the uk where we can discuss specific things about investing in the uk but it's got loads of people from different countries as well and um, as you've said that group is always popping questions being asked uh questions being answered and people are very collaborative now when someone says well zimbabweans are not willing to share i can say actually you're wrong you're wrong. I've got evidence. Yeah. yeah. I've got evidence. Look <laughs> at all of this information that Zimbabweans are willing to share. No one in that group is being paid for that information. Right. And we've actually realized the more information you share, the more you attract and you inherently actually start doing better because people are willing to, you, you, you become a magnet to people and opportunities come even more than you could ever, you could ever think of.
Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, and I like how you chain, I like how you turn sort of that rejection and that, um, and I wouldn't even say failure, but just sort of that rejection mm-hmm. into sort of something that now, you know, you're changing the narrative about Zimbabwean sort of that we can, we do like to share, we do like to collaborate and stuff like that. I, I think you find like I feel like there's quite there's quite a lot of that sort of stereotype amongst sort of ethnic minorities, um, yeah. that the, you know no one wants to uplift each other or you know promote someone else's work rather than promote and rather promote their own and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that um you've been able to do that and it was it's a good sort of you can see sort of your mindset in that sort of actually no I'm not going to accept that fact and it's not even the fact I'm not going to accept that perception. Yeah. And I'm going to sort of change it. So yeah, that's really brilliant. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Now it's actually worked out really well. And um obviously I might be just the spark who got it started, but then it would never work if it wasn't for the people that actually join in and and and, and collaborate anyway. There's times where I don't even say anything at yeah. all. And the information is just flowing. Just flowing. So it's beautiful to see. And to be honest with you, sometimes I just I just sit back and just watch it happen in the background. And I feel a sense of pride that we actually did start this and, and it's actually happening the way that it is. So um no, it's fantastic. It's really fantastic. It's an absolute blessing. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So did you um you said that you and your wife, are you both doing the property together? Are you both in it together? So initially my wife was fully in it. Um and then she quickly realized that she doesn't like property. <laughs> so she went, <laughs> took you there. And then she like, took nah. me there and um, we started it together. And then she quickly realized it's not really her thing. So uh, my wife is obviously the, the business is ours. Anything that we do is ours as, as, as husband and wife. Um, but ultimately she's not necessarily in the property business. She, she understands it. She knows what it is that's going on. She helps out here and there. But um, she prefers to just be on the outside. So she's doing her own thing. Um, as you already know, she's a marriage coach. She's running yeah. her own business, doing helping people in a certain way that she feels passionate uh, passionate about. So um, it works out. I help out with that as well. Um, I, I, I go as part of her conversations, the interviews that she does as the husband. Um, <laughs> but she's, she's not in the property thing. No, fair enough. No, that's mm-hmm. all right. Um, I, I, to be fair, I don't know. I'm, I'm obviously I'm not, I'm not married yet or anything like that, but I feel like it's always sort of good. Um, when in a relationship, you both have your own things, but you can also sort of support each other on your different things as well. hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm a big believer in that. And whether it's, it's marriage or just a relationship, um, I, I, I am all for have your own thing and support each other on your own thing. Because if one of you doesn't have their own thing, um, it, it, it creates a bit of resentment to a certain extent. At some point it will hit you that I'm um, hold on a second. What is my thing? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be just the person who supports that person. Right. What is my thing? And I think it works out far much better when you have your strength as an individual, your strength as an individual and your strengths, you use them to actually build each other on what you are already doing. Yeah. So I'm part of her business. She's part of mine, but she's got her thing. I've got my thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so I guess for you, 
Um, what is like, what are your sort of some of your aspirations or sort of future plans for being mm-hmm. in property? Um, and yeah, working in it as well. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, at the point that I started this property thing, it was, um, once I've actually understood what, what it entails, it's like, let's just grow this portfolio as big as it absolutely can be. Right. Mm. Let's just build this as much as possible, create this whole concept of uh, financial freedom, generational wealth and all this. And and it was great. It was fantastic. Um, however, now um, I realize that in, in everything that I actually start and do well at, I enjoy showing someone else. I enjoy teaching someone else and uh, breaking barriers, so to speak. Whenever someone has a different, a certain mindset, and I feel that it's a bit of a flawed one, and it's a it's a self sabotage kind of mindset. I use my experience and the things I already know to try to help them to see it completely differently, so they're a bit more positive. I did that not knowing, uh, but I did that even in when I was in engineering. I started actually teaching people the things that I knew. And, um, I think to a certain extent, that's probably how I was actually, um, given the role as a supervisor or a team leader, because I was more of a, a motivator and, and had a, a way of explaining things, uh, understanding from their point of view and then pointing it out. So they understand it a lot better. Um, being an operator helped me be a good team leader because I can see it from that point of view, being a Zimbabwean helps me show other Zimbabweans how to invest in property in a certain way that not many people can show. And I feel that in all those experiences, I've been given certain tools and it becomes my responsibility to a certain extent to then uh, shed a light on a darkness that not many people even realized existed. So in the property business, I'm just going to let this grow. My aspiration now is for the business to completely run itself completely without me being required whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, it's there, it's running. Um, so that uh, so I'm working on working on the business rather than in the business, and that will happen anyway. And my passion is being able to help people with whatever I have. And right now, it's the experience, it's, it's the knowledge that I've accumulated so far. And bear in mind, even though I've got some stuff that I can teach and show other people, I'm still a student. I'm still learning quite a lot. I'm pretty young when it comes to this. Out of all of the things that I've done, I'm the youngest at this because I've only been doing it for four years. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange that I'm I'm kind of seen and known as the property guy, but property is what I've been doing for the least amount of years. <laughs> yeah. You're more the engineering guy more than Yeah, anything. I'm more yeah. of an engineering guy. I've been playing football for a lot more years. I've been I was in, in in education for a lot more years, but I'm known as a property guy and yet I've only been doing it for four years. But it's it's one of those. And with all that information and the experience that I've gone through. I really enjoy sitting down with either a group of people or certain individuals and go through the information after understanding where they are at. Yeah. I hear what people are saying. I hear where they are at in terms of um, either getting started in property or even when I'm actually helping other couples with my wife and listening to their challenges as a guy, challenges as a, as a, as a woman. And with our experience being married for, over eight years now and being in a relationship for over 15. Oh, wow. um, 
I, I hear it and I'm like, I get that. I really get that, you know, and being able to actually relate to a certain, um, say, call it problem or a situation and being on the other side, I think to a certain extent, and this is not just for me, it's for anyone and everyone who's had an experience in certain things. It becomes to a certain extent our responsibility to shed a light and help those people through that challenge. Um, I, I recently heard someone talking about a human being's purpose and there's different um things that people have said before is like our purpose is to leave this world in a better place than we found it and um one of the things that actually feeds us the most is being able to help another person in whatever way you can think of and that's one of the most uh refreshing feelings and if you've ever been in a situation where someone is in need of help and you've offered that assistance and you see that your assistance has actually made a difference in how they feel it's it's such a great feeling and i want that feeling a lot more now yeah no it is a great feeling like we had um we have these conversations um in in my on my dinner table with my with the family um my mom was asking do people sort of do anything wholeheartedly um and I was like, well, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think we're all sort of, we're just selfish human beings just in general. But I think that like, as you're saying, like if you're helping somebody, like it of course is going to bring you joy. Like, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Um, because like, cause you're not necessarily helping them because you're like, oh, I want to be ego boosted, but it is going to make you feel good because it's nice to see someone smile. It's nice to see that you've helped somebody. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that's mm-hmm. all of our purpose is to leave this place much better than we left it. Um, 100%. And it's like a, like I always hear, if I was listening to podcasts, some people will ask, oh, what is your, what is your legacy? Or like, do you care about legacy and stuff like that? Um, and I always sort of think, oh, how would I answer that question? And I, I think sort of in terms of what you were talking about, in terms of that, if you're able to leave a mark on people and make an imprint and you don't even know how you're going to do it, to be honest with you, like you could, they could literally just be buying someone a cup of coffee in the morning and you know, mm-hmm. some maybe they really needed that, um, or it could be something much bigger. But like leaving the imprint on people, I think is probably the best legacy that you can have, really. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, um, Warren Buffett is one of the the, the greatest investor investors in the world. Mm. He recently said that, um, and he was talking about sales, and and is talking to students who are actually doing sales and marketing, and um, he was talking about how you make people feel. And they said something which I found quite profound, um, that people will forget what you said to them. People will forget what you did to them, but people will not forget how you made them feel. And I think that's a really powerful thing and how you make someone feel. And going back to the statements that you're making, uh, the, what you're talking about, uh, being uh, selfish, there's a guy called Dr. Wayne Dyer. If you've never read any of his books, I would recommend you read his book. Dr. Wayne Dyer. Okay. Dr. Wayne Dyer. And um, he was talking about a scenario where um, if you imagine someone who's begging on the street and then someone goes in and gives that person something and helps them, whether it's with food, with money or whatever, the beauty of that activity is it makes the person who's begging feel better. It makes the person who's just given them feel better. 
but it also makes the people who are watching it feel better. Mm. Yeah. So he actually said the statement, which I found quite strange, but true, that helping someone is one of the most selfish things you can do because it makes you feel better. Yeah. No, that's so true. it actually made me see the concept of the selfishness as not a bad thing. It's great to feel that way. And even if I'm doing it to feel that way, I am actually inevitably making loads of people feel the way that I feel. So what's wrong with that? Yeah, I've never looked at it like that before. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, now now I want to go and look at his books, to be fair. I want to see what this oh, guy yeah, is Any 100%. recommendations? Any which ones you recommend? Um, so he, he wrote a book called... Um, this was one of his last books before he actually passed away. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> Always when I you just can't, it. It will, it will come back to me. It will come back to me. <laughs> After um, we get off this call, you'll remember it. <laughs> exactly. Like, ah. <laughs> but if, if, just type in Dr. Wayne Dyer. He's got Dyer, talks okay. on, um, on YouTube as well about different things. But um, there's the one book that I would recommend. And if it comes back to me at some point in the middle of this conversation, <laughs> I'll just throw it in. <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, I don't think we're going to get time because I was just going to ask you one final question, mm-hmm. which I ask all my guests. Um, yeah. And I've loved having this conversation with you, Muzi. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do it as well. Um, so say if there's a young black boy um, that's listening to this conversation, how can something that you know or something that we talked about today help them with an understanding of themselves? Wow, what a question. (laughs) What a question. I guess it's relevant for me too, being a black guy. Um, Tell you what, this is an, um, it might be a completely different way of seeing things. And and I'm only going to be speaking of my own experience. I did, uh, as I've mentioned, when I came to the UK, I did realize, I did notice that I actually looked different. And that was about me being black. The weird thing about me being black, um, and for anyone who's not watching this and can hear me, I'm a light-skinned black person. Yeah. So when I was in Zimbabwe, I was actually teased about being a white person. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So it was actually strange. I'm not half, uh, I'm not, I'm not mixed race or anything. Both my parents are actually black. I'm just a light skinned guy. And it was weird because, um, well, eventually I kind of got used to the fact that I'm just a light skinned guy, you know, and then coming here, I realized that I'm actually the darkest one of the crew. It was a strange <laughs> feeling, strange feeling. However, the concept of, um, and I, I, I sort of like, I wouldn't say blame. I actually, put this on on my parents they protected us quite a lot this whole idea of um racism was not a big thing to us we were protected from it we didn't actually know it that much it was things in the books Uh, racism to us is how um the white people treated the black people back in the colonization days yeah it's not something that we saw at any point so coming here what we class now as as racism, like uh, certain words that are said, certain um, statements, I didn't understand them. 
So even though I heard them at the time, they didn't do anything to me because I didn't get what they were. Mm. Yeah. And it was funny because um, Trevor Noah actually spoke about this as a comedian. That's the certain things that I said now that you understand that's a racist thing to say. But when he heard them the first time, because the version of racism in South Africa is different to in America, yeah, certain things different. that they would say to him at the time, and they don't have that feeling. You don't actually feel hurt because that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. So it's it's strange that um, I went through that period and certain things that I recall now when I when I recall them and think, oh, they actually did say this to me, but I never felt it because it didn't mean anything to me. However, I never actually felt um, my blackness, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, it's not something that I actually ever thought, you know what? I feel different because I'm black. I felt different because I was different. I didn't actually attach it to my skin color. Yeah. I initially attached it to my, um, to my accent because I knew I sounded different to everyone else. Um, at some point I, I attached it to my intellect because I was the geek and, and you know, the geeks are actually just, <laughs> you know, abused in the classroom. <laughs> yeah. no, you're right. So you try to hide away your intellect. And, and every time I heard certain questions and people struggling with certain things in maths and I'm thinking, I had to, I had to, you know, I had to pretend I don't get it too. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, I can't even answer the question. I want to leave it alone and just write my answers in silence. And the teachers would actually point it out that if you're struggling with maths in any way, just look at Mrs. Coursework. I'm like, no, don't, do that. <laughs> don't, you know? So that's, I felt different for that reason. And um, me being black um, I never actually felt it as a thing in the UK. I associated myself with a lot of black individuals. I associated myself with the uh, um, predominantly Zimbabweans. And I did hear about their experiences. And I always felt like I lived in a completely different world mm. because the things that they talked about and saying that um, these people are so racist, these people are doing this, even in the workplace, they look down on us. And I'm thinking, Am I living in a completely different world here? And to a certain extent, I actually think if you actually go with that mentality, you're always going to find what it is that you're looking for. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there are no racist people. There's no racism at any point. Um, I'm saying if you actually look for it, if you believe that the people in this country, anyone who's white in this country is inherently racist, you're going to find it even in things that they're not necessarily doing. Yeah. And in terms of, if I'm looking at myself, um, so speaking, going back to your question, speaking to uh, a young black guy in this environment who is considering starting in property, I guess, or starting a business, um, what worked for me, even though I wasn't consciously doing it, what worked for me is not looking at myself as different because of my skin color. I feel that, um, and again, I'm speaking from my experience. I feel that if I see myself different because of my skin color and then take that narrative of people in this country, look down on people who have my skin color, I will inherently go in at a disadvantage because I'm already kind of looking for it. You know, someone could look at you different and straight away like, oh, there you go. He's racist. Yeah. Someone could say something 
um, which had nothing to do with your skin color. And if you actually attach it to that, you're already at a disadvantage um, because you've put yourself there. So me not looking at myself that way, I put myself on pass straight away. Um, I, I have this natural positive feeling where I'm trusting uh, of the people that I meet. Um, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt, so to speak. I, I, I assume everyone has the best of intentions for themselves and for the person that they're talking to being me. Yeah. Until they prove me wrong. And I think going in with that mentality, you're more likely to be successful than the other way around. Yeah. From my yeah. point of view. No, brilliant. Brilliant. I, I don't, I'm, I, I think I'm going to let the audience sort of simmer on that and, uh, yeah, because I think that's really good to be honest with you. I think just about your mindset and how you approach things can it can change your perception. It can change sort of mm. your reality to a certain extent. So yeah, no, thank you very much, Muzzy, um, for coming on to the Black and Roll podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a really good, I had a really good time with you as well. Appreciate it. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's all right. Hopefully, we can do this again. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, I shall speak to you soon. All right, cool. So that is the end of the episode, guys. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Muzzy. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed talking to Muzzy and um, I thought his, um, I just thought his experiences, I think, are really helpful um, for anyone that is traveling to the UK and that um, is emigrating here, but also especially for Zimbabweans as well. Um, I think to hear how he's doing and, you know, how successful he's been um, and the fact that even, you know, we're all told that we should be in care roles or, you know, saying doctors or lawyers or something like that. But um, I think one thing we have to think about, maybe even two things, is that one, um, you don't necessarily have to do that um, if you've got a passion, if you've got something that you think, OK, I can really make something out of this thing, go and do that, you know, um, but also be thankful to your parents because without them coming to this country, struggling, being here and surviving, we wouldn't be thriving. And so I really want to, you know, think about your parents when you think about, you know, what you're going to do um, with your life, because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here literally and figuratively. So um, on behalf of all the parents that came here, um, thank you for everything that you've done for us and for all the young people listening. Go and chase out your dreams, man. Go and go and reach the stars, go and reach the stratosphere. Um, and be humble and thank your parents all the time for what they've done so yeah that's just a little um tidbit from me i guess um but thank you very much guys for listening to this episode um i hope you enjoyed it um and you know there won't be an episode out next week um but if you you know go and listen to some other episodes where you wait for the episode the week after that and so the youtube video out for this will be out on sunday um, I think I might change the dates, actually. I think I might release the video and the audio at the same time, just so, you know, everyone's got a fair chance to watch the episodes or listen to the episodes. You've got the choice. You could do a little bit of both. So I'm going to think on that, actually. But for this week, the episode is going to be released out on Sunday. Um, so go to my YouTube video, Black and Raw. And uh, yeah, go watch that video, guys, because I'm um, looking forward to what YouTube is going to bring. Um, and you can see my face, you can see a bit of my face. So yeah, um, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Um, there'll be a new episode out in two weeks time. Um, 
yeah, please go and share. Follow me on all social medias at Black and Raw. And uh, guys, uh, we'll talk soon.